Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. This is your host, Sarah. I've got Darcy with me. Darcy, are you staying safe? I'm staying safe. I'm staying clean. I'm staying sanitized. I'm staying mostly sane. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing, doing pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying relatively sane, but I need to go to the grocery store again because yeah, I'm out of cereal. <laughs> oh, man. I'm I don't have milk. any toilet paper, but I, I really have no hope that there's going to be any toilet paper. So I'm just going to forget about that one and yeah. then be happy if I can find some cereal. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually out of milk. So like, if we combined our forces, because I do have cereal, <laughs> so we could combine our forces, we could have a breakfast. <laughs> That depends. What kind of cereal? Oh, man. I got the good shit. I got, oh, stuff. Um, I have Lucky Charms and Golden Grams. Oh, God. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I'm looking for uh, Frosted Shredded Wheat or oh, yeah. um, Special K Red Berries. Oh, I don't like the Red Berries. I don't like the like freeze-dried straw- uh, strawberries. I don't like that. They get a little weird if you yeah. let them sit in the milk too long. The consistency of them is, is weird. But I, I do like Frosted Mini Wheats. Yeah, good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much my obsession right now because I don't feel like cooking. Right. <laughs> so I'm just living on cereal, which Dude, is I had awful. to go to pick up medicine from the pharmacy yesterday, and I was like, let me just drive through Little Caesars. So I like got the cheese bread. Have you ever had their cheese bread? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's about. so good. So I just went through and like I and I didn't eat at all yesterday, so good for me. And then I had leftovers today for lunch after I rode my bike. So I'm... I Doing literally have okay. gained 10 pounds in the last two weeks. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so not, I'm getting, like the quarantine 15 is what I'm on to right now. <laughs> quarantine 15. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. I yeah. don't like it at all. But like, what can you do? Like I've been trying to work out stuff at home, but like, mm-hmm. that's kind of hard. And then right. I run normally, but it has been pouring here. Oh, really? So not so much on the running. I'm hoping yeah. to get one in today since it looks like it's kind of cleared up a little bit. It's not yeah. pouring right now. So I'm like, oh, fingers crossed for a couple minutes of clear weather so I can get a nice run in. Yeah, I'm really la- glad I have that bike with the trainer, like the you know virtual trainer, so I can yeah. basically cycle in my house. It's very nice. I, n- I normally just do that anyway as opposed to taking my bike outside. So it's actually worked yeah. out quite well, this quarantine situation. Right? <laughs> Introverts unite! Yay! Exactly. I'm like, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Although I did get a little emotional this morning. It's just, I think part of the problem is I'm reading the Facebook posts and I just feel so bad for people that do not have the option to work from home. And it just, right. it is breaking my heart that so many people are going to suffer monumentally from this. And it just... Absolutely. I'm so thankful that I have the ability, but I also realize that there are people that are really going to be screwed mm-hmm. over by this big time. And it just, it's very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. People in the service industries, people are that are hourly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I have a friend who works in Vegas and she got laid off. Yeah. And the people that we have I mean, no idea when it's going to turn back. It's really bad. Yeah. And shout out to all it's of awful. the medical professionals, the teachers, and uh, the therapist. I think one right? thing that's not being talked about is how. Oh, don't forget retail. Oh, retail and retail. People. Yeah, retail people, are, people. Yeah, they're going to like a freaking category five yeah. hurricane yeah, right now. For sure. 
Well, we're sitting on the couch eating potato chips. Right. And and I think uh, and cereal. one group of people that are <laughs> being overlooked right now are the therapists. Because I know yeah. I've contacted my therapist about doing an online session, like a video chat. Um, uh-huh. But I know some people don't have that capability. And some people are really struggling with the isolation and things like that. So oh my God, there's a seriously. lot of people that we need to thank once this thing is over. We just need to bake a big cake for a lot of people. Yeah. I think, too, it just was very overwhelming for me this morning just to be like, when is this going to end? There's Mm -hmm. no, like, specific date. And things are just kind of out of control. And I hate that feeling worse than anything else when you have no control over your situation. There's nothing you can do. It is literally the worst feeling for me. Being a control freak. It gives me so much anxiety. It's the worst. Seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, what if it lasts forever? And th- that's not going to happen. But, like, that's kind of what you where your mind goes after you're sure. sitting alone in your house for, like, uh-huh. I- I've been alone <laughs> since January. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you're craving um, contact with other people. Well, I'm not really an extrovert. And so, like, yeah. having person-to-person contact is not really necessarily one of those things that I need on a day-to-day basis because I'm just yeah, like, I'm whatever, I don't care about you. I don't care what you have to say. <laughs> Your life doesn't matter to me because <laughs> I'm awful and selfish and terrible and narcissistic. But at the same time, it's like when you're talking to yourself 24-7 for weeks yeah. on end, it gets a little old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you need I, some no, new, I, I'm with new you. ideas, new opinions. Um, One thing I saw stuff. that I really like is that like local humane societies are encouraging people to foster pets yeah. during this time. If you don't have a pet, and I think for first of all, I've lived alone for for years and years and years, and I don't think I would have been able to do that successfully if I didn't have dogs. Right. But um, especially right now, having a pet in the house keeps you sane. Yeah. And if you are craving that kind of contact and somebody to care for and a constant companion and a cuddle buddy, look into fostering an animal during this time. You'll help out some pets that need a home, and they'll help your mental health for sure. Contact your local humane society Mm -hmm. or shelter they can give you further information about what you need to do if you would like to take advantage of that. I would encourage yeah. it as well. I personally cannot do that because we are selling our house and yeah. it is <laughs> I don't think they would like it too much if they came here and there was <laughs> signs that an animal had been here. Everywhere. Yeah. 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 So otherwise I totally would. Yeah. I fostered a little bit in San Diego. It was so rewarding. I loved it. I remember you saying something about that mm-hmm. and seeing the puppies. They were so adorable. They I were so even. cute. I know. Cutest thing ever. And it's great if you have that, like, you want a puppy, but then, like, after about two weeks when you send them back, you're like, yeah, I don't really want a puppy anymore. I kind of got that yeah. out of my system. So that's another exactly. reason fostering is great. <laughs> that's probably, you can probably do the same thing with babies. Just borrow your friend's baby. <laughs> and then after you have that for a little bit, you'll be like, nope, I'm good. I'm like 30 minutes with a baby, and then I'm like, all set. <laughs> you right? can take this I'm good. now. Thank yeah, you. it needs its diaper changed, and that's kind of where I tap out. Yeah. So, one of the other things I saw, just not to get back into the negative stuff, but I just saw this article uh, on MSN China COVD 19 study blood type O are more resistant, type A are more susceptible to infection. Hmm. Do you see this? You sent it to me last night, but I didn't see it uh, until I got up this morning. It's very interesting. So basically a new medical study that China put out this new medical study on the coronavirus and found that blood type A patients were more susceptible to the infection and tended to develop more severe symptoms, while patients with blood type O seem more resistant to the disease. 
Very, very interesting. Mirren Gonzalez is the author of this. Medical researchers from across China conducted a preliminary study on different blood groups and resistance to the coronavirus. Blood group patterns of over 2,000 patients infected with the virus in Wuhan and Shenzhen were studied and compared with that of local healthy populations. And the study found that patients from the O blood group had a significantly lower risk of catching the virus than those with blood type A, who may be more vulnerable and might need particularly strengthened personal protection against the infection. Mm. Blood type A patients showed a higher rate of infection and tended to develop more severe symptoms, as mentioned. And this might lead to the need for more vigilant surveillance and aggressive treatment for these particular blood types. This study was published in March, the beginning of March. The blood types of the 206 patients who died from the COVD-19 in Wuhan, the epicenter of the virus, were studied. Of the fatalities, 85 had type A blood and 52 had type O. The type A deaths were 63% more than the type O deaths. And the pattern was present across various age and gender groups. Hmm. Blood types are determined by an antigen, which is a material on the surface of the red blood cells that can trigger an immune response. The main types are obviously discovered in 1901, type A, B, A, B, and O. So now they're thinking that it may be beneficial to introduce A, B, O blood typing in both patients and medical personnel as a routine for the management of this, as well as SARS and other coronavirus infections to help define the management options and assess risk exposure levels of people. So very, very interesting. Now they're sorting, starting to try to sort patients and risk groups yeah. out according to blood type. What do you think about that? So I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's incredibly expedient work for this research group to have gotten this published, to have tested that many people and to have gone through the review process and gotten it published. I think that there's a couple, I probably want to read that, like the actual research study to see what they, you know, use as covariates and people, how many of those people had underlying health conditions? What was, you You said it, it um, the age wasn't a factor. What blood type are you, by the way? I'm, I'm type O, which is the most common. Me too. Yeah. That's the most common blood type. So that is interesting because that, that means that, you know, the most populous blood type, which I believe is about 68% of the popul of the world population is type O. Um, interesting. That, they are at lesser risk, not no risk, but they're, they're, they're lesser risk and their symptoms are severe, according to the study. But I think that it's so early that we don't really, yeah. I don't know, not that that's bad science, but it just, it just, it's so early to make such an assumption and to base medical care off of blood type, I think is a little premature. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting if this whole if this trend holds like what they're seeing if they did a longitudinal study with this and that trend holds to maybe talk about long-term medical care like what what they were saying you know the implications for this long term but that's you know years down the road i think if, if, when we fully understand the implications of that kind of research but um right. that's a very quick study that's a very interesting study well, five months right didn't it start in like november Dude, I've got a paper that I've been writing and collecting data on for three years, and that's not oh, wow. abnormal. <laughs> I'm sure that given the risks and what's going on here, they yeah. probably have streamlined this and oh, yeah. made it a top priority yeah. just to try to figure out what they can do to help in right. any possible way that they can. And I'm all for it. 
Mm-hmm. I know that you think it's t- it's too early to really say something, but like I think you know anything we can do, any tiny thing, it's right. going to be life saved. Period. And if it's just oh, for sure. one life saved, then it's worth it. Right. And I'm not saying it's not valuable. I'm just saying let's not put our all of our you know eggs in that that basket. Let's keep looking for right. answers, which I'm sure that they are doing. Yeah. But it is a really interesting study, and I think there is value to it. I just don't know if it's immediate right. value or if it's long term value. You know. Right. And we will see. Time will tell. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I just want this to be over. Like, I'm right. so done with it. Like, ugh, just go away already. Well, and we need to talk about the importance of social distancing. You know, you may be what you consider a low pop- a low risk population. You're, you know, a college student. You're healthy. You don't have any underlying conditions. And right now it is spring break. I don't know if you've seen, like, the videos of the kids the in, like, Florida Miami beaches. Oh, my God. Beach. And all of those, like my town right now is empty. My college town is completely in. It's like desolate. And so yeah. when those kids come back in two weeks, what is it going to look like here? You know what I mean? Because they're all with, because they didn't cancel their spring break plans because you're 20. You don't, you know, you don't think about those things. You think you're invincible. Yeah. So we just, we, we, I mean, we can't go back, but we should have done a better job of talking about the importance of social distancing with, um, yeah, but I don't think they care, even if they that's do. That's what I'm saying. We should have made, they, sh- we should have made a bigger effort to impress upon the younger populations why it's important because you may not have symptoms, but you may come home and you may give it to your grandparents, you know, and well, it's not just that, but it's like, I think unless you make it mandatory. They're not going to do anything. They don't care. That's that generation. Yeah, I just I hesitate to say it's like a generational thing. I think I think we just I don't know. I'm just I I maybe I don't know. I mean, we can't go back and do anything about it. But I wish we had been. I wish we had taken a little bit more seriously a couple weeks ago. Like I still have people asking me a couple weeks ago, do I think this is overblown? And I'm like, no. But that, you know, people just kind of look at me like I'm crazy, like I'm paranoid, but. Yeah, but you, know. you also come from the scientific community. So yeah. you look at it in a different way, I think, than most of the population. And That's that, probably true. I'm not saying that that makes you smarter, but I mean, you look at it from a scientific perspective right. and not from an emotional one like most people do. Right. Or like a financial one, like kids don't want to lose their money that they spent on spring break, you know? Right. So I just. Interesting. Just make sure that you are being vigilant. You're only leaving your house when you absolutely have to. Um, get delivery food whenever you can. Support your local restaurants by going to get takeout or get it delivered. Um, or get I know, gift like, cards. Yeah, or get gift cards. I know like Grubhub does no contact delivery. They'll leave food at your door without having you to like interact with anybody. I'm sure other groups are doing that too. So there's ways to support. Yeah, but what if the person preparing it has the coronavirus? They shouldn't be at work, but there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, you might catch it from touching the bag or like what if it's in your food? Well, like, um, that I'm a little we scared about that. Yeah, I mean, it it should get killed once your food is cooked. You know, I wouldn't say order sushi. That seems a little risky anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there's just nothing you can do about that. That's kind of the risk of dining out anyway. Period. Yeah. So, well. There's ways to support anyway, still. Re- regardless, we need to move on because we're already like almost oh, yeah. 20 minutes into the podcast. We should do an episode we where we just like talk. 
<laughs> I'm sure the listeners are loving this, but we're going to uh. um, head into some true crime. Yeah. So that we can get to the real gist of what the show is about. We promise that, you know, we'll put out an episode of Hypochondriac's Almanac and talk about this a little bit further, perhaps. And you can tune into that sister show of ours if you'd like to hear more of us just talking yeah. about the coronavirus and random other crap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Today's case is Sally and Richard Challen. And I don't know if you've heard about this, Darcy. Um, I originally ring a bell yet. heard about this case on another podcast quite a long time ago and then heard it again on the Minds of Madness podcast mm. not too long mm-hmm. ago. Let's just jump right into it. Let's do it. Saturday, August 14th, 2010, Sally and Richard Challen, they live in Claygate, Surrey, England. They have been married for 31 years, wow. and they were packing up their house to rent it out while they were supposed to take off for a six-month Australian trip. That is, until the events of that day changed everything. Here is their story. Georgina Sally Jenny was born Walton on Thames, England, she was born in 1954 and raised in an upper-class family. She had four older brothers, and during her teen years, they were away at boarding school. Her father and mother were both born in India. Her father was a brigadier in the Royal Engineers, and he suffered a heart attack when Sally was five and died. Oh, the family was absolutely devastated, and this created a void in Sally's life. Um, in the 60s, Sally was not encouraged to pursue higher education or a career because the focus back then was on finding a husband, as mm-hmm. you are probably aware, um, if you've ever looked at that period in history. In 1971, Sally was 15 years old, and she meets a man by the name of Richard Challen. He is in his 20s, and she is 15. So there's a little bit of an age gap there. Sally immediately becomes enamored with this man and starts going over to his house after school and work to cook and clean. Oh, don't like that. She wants to show him how capable she is of being a wife. Okay. Her family does not approve of this, and they think that Richard is beneath their family status. Which oh, so there's a class in, thing, too. Yeah, in Great Britain and England. Yeah. Uh, I think that's more of a thing maybe than it is here in the U.S., but Richard and Sally decide to marry, and her family is just not on board with that. He is this sort of male authoritative figure, and they think that he is filling the void that Sally was missing from her father Mm -hmm. and not because this is actually a good man, but they think she kind of fell into this because she was missing her father so much and didn't really have that influence in her life. So her mother sent her to boarding school in Brussels in an attempt to break up this relationship. And Sally kept writing to Richard and talking to him on the phone. She just didn't seem to think that the distance made a difference for her. This is while they were married? No, they weren't oh. married yet. Oh, okay. Sorry, did I? They decided to marry, but the family was just not on board with that, and they were gonna. They tried to separate the two. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So they didn't get married yet. Okay. 
Then Sally leaves school and is just like, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. I just want to be a wife and a mother. And start, she starts working as a secretary and focuses 100% of her time and energy on Richard. Mm. Smash the patriarchy. Right. Then Sally gets pregnant at the age of 17. Oh, my gosh. And her family is absolutely horrified. Her, they're just like, nope, this guy is so beneath us and no one's happy. And they all, including Richard, pressure Sally to have an abortion. Oh. Now, the brothers confront Richard as well, and he responds to them by saying, uh, I wasn't her first, and the baby could belong to anyone. <gasps> so, like, he's kind of a douche about it. Yeah. And right from the beginning, Sally is suspicious of Richard dating other women, and he's giving off this cheating vibe. Which mm -hmm. I think female intuition is correct in about 95% of the cases. Yep. She questions him and he denies it and tells her she's stupid for implying that he's cheating. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then he's also demonstrating that he is violent as well. So he got enraged after she questioned him and grabbed her, dragging her down a flight of stairs, throwing her out the front door. Reportedly, by all accounts from friends and family, this was not a healthy relationship. But despite that fact, Sally marries Richard in 1979. <sighs> so there is a prenup mm -hmm. that protects Richard's assets. Oh. Which uh, you wouldn't think, right? Y yeah. Okay. Sally's family still absolutely hates this guy. But... They're trying to support her because they're like, this is our baby girl. She's the youngest child. She's the, the only girl. We want them to be successful. Richard, meanwhile, owns a car dealership. And he's making his success in the world through this car dealership. By just like really mm -hmm. pushing hard to do his best to make as much money as possible. Meanwhile, the couple has two sons, James and David. And they get a beautiful home in Ruxley Ridge. Claygate, Surrey, England. Sally loved being a mom and a wife. And her sons remember their life as pretty good for the first 10 years. They have a lot of happy memories, great vacations, good times, etc. But behind the scenes, Richard was very, very controlling. He was dictating what she could eat, who could, she could speak to, and where every single penny went that came into their household. Mm. Now, Sally ended up getting a job as sort of an administrator at the nearby police department, but Richard took all of her paychecks. <sighs> right? So he's got this supposedly prosperous car dealership that's making him quite a bit of money, and he's taking her paychecks, too. He buys himself a Ferrari, a Cartier oh, watch, nice for him. and starts going to Grand Prix events. Like, just living the life. Mm -hmm. Living it up. Doing it good. Living his very best life. As while, a bachelor, I'm sure. Exactly. While Sally stays at home with the kids. Sally had no money either. He was giving her like nothing. Just the bare minimum that it would take for her to buy groceries to keep the kids fed. So he's taking her paycheck and giving her an allowance. Basically. Yes. Jesus. And he also is okay. telling her when she's allowed to use the car and demands to know where she is 100% of the time. And he is very, very controlling of her on every single aspect of their marriage, including their sexual relationship. She has to shower before sex because he says he doesn't like the way she smells. You know, okay. 
<laughs> right? Okay. I can tell the blood is starting to boil. <laughs> he also insists that he doesn't want to see her getting ready or getting undressed. He doesn't like the way she looks. She is ridiculed as well in front of the children constantly and in front of friends and even strangers who say that this guy was constantly bullying Sally and she had no self-esteem as a result. So get this. Richard then sends out Christmas cards. But is it the family? No. It's him. Just him. On the hood of a luxury car with two bikini-clad models on each side of him. Excuse the beep out of me? That's their Christmas card. Is him on a luxury car with two... Who... Okay, first of all, who wants to receive that Christmas card? Uh, my hand is not raised. <laughs> no. Um, so... My hand is firmly by my side. He's basically just, like, this douchey, like, stereotypical car salesman. This guy sucks. And he's also well-known in the brothels, the local brothels, too. He seems to frequent them with, um, tremendous efficiency. <laughs> He is bold with his cheating and very, very brazen. He's got multiple phones. He's got profiles and on lots of online dating sites. And he is just living it up. He's a man whore, mm-hmm. basically. Of course. <laughs> Sally pretends to ignore all of this, even when she sees him and catches him red-handed coming out of brothels. She, Whenever she does have the guts to confront him, he basically tells her, you're crazy. You are making this up. I, I, you didn't see me. That's bull. Okay. And her friends and family say that these instances really were causing Sally to question her own sanity because he was so thorough in his telling and his commitment to the fact that yeah. she's seeing things that she starts to believe him. Mm. Now she goes to the doctor during this time and they say in her medical reports that she was showing signs of severe stress. She had sleeping problems, low or no appetite, She was waking at odd hours. She just was, like, not doing well physically. Mm -hmm. And Richard (laughs) is absolutely a clear example of a a dirtbag. I like (laughs) dirtbag. Dirtbag. All of Sally's family and friends say that despite the behavior of her philandering husband, she was kind, calm, loving, accepting of others, and giving. And now some of us would probably be like, hey, why don't you leave this guy? Right? Yeah. But she did not and could not. Emotionally. It's it's so common in abusive relationships. It's so common. I would have to agree. She was emotionally and financially dependent upon this man. And his behavior, I think, had gotten to the point where it was kind of normal for her. And I think that that tends to be what happens is you've lived through Mm -hmm. it and suffered through it for so long that it becomes your normal and you don't understand that it's not right or normal. Well, and he's taken away all of her self-worth, you know. And as she begins to, to the kids get a little bit older, they start to notice that something isn't right. And they notice that their father complains about everything and is extremely controlling of everybody in their household. Now, at that point, they start to say to her, hey, you need to leave him. Even her kids and her family are saying, Mm -hmm. time to leave, time to get out. By November 2009, Sally sees a televised raid of a massage parlor that she knows Richard frequents. Uh Uh-oh. And she decides to get the hell out. Good for her, right? She leaves their family home. 
and uses her own inheritance money to buy another house while she starts divorce proceedings. Yay, okay. Sally. Are the kids like the older kids are than adults? 18? Yes, the okay. kids are adults. They're out on their own. So I, th- I believe at the time this all happened, one son was still living at home as an adult, and the other one had okay. already moved out and was married and having his own family. But there would be no like custody issues. No. No custody okay. issues. And I think that's okay. part of the reason why she waited as long as she did, because she was afraid yeah. that Richard would get custody of the kids or prevent her from seeing them, which is also, I think, extremely common and very sad. Sure. But despite all this, Sally still cannot break off the relationship. Hmm. She still loves Richard. She's been mm-hmm. with him for 30 years. And she starts sneaking out to see Richard again. Ugh hiding it from her kids and her family and friends. Mm. She just can't survive without him. And despite her efforts, she ends up going back to him and does everything she can to win Richard back. Richard, in the meantime, is still seeing lots of other women and (laughs) carrying on basically the same way he always has. Right. Of course, he has no incentive to change his lifestyle. No. But Sally becomes a little bit, uh, I think, you could characterize it as obsessed. She asks her neighbor to spy on him. She's looking at his text. By 2010, she gets remote access to his phone. So she's listening to his voicemail. She's looking Mm -hmm. at his text. She sees his Facebook account. And she finds the names of the women from the sites that he's seeing. And finds out when Richard is seeing these women and where. And starts to kind of follow him and, and... essentially kind of stalk him a little bit when he's not with her yikes by june of 2010 richard agrees to let sally move back into the family home despite her misgivings but there is one condition to this she has to sign a post-nup agreement removing her rights to the family home and other previously shared assets that were part of the community property from the, I hate everything about what you just said. She was he let her move back in. Yeah, there were conditions. Like this is a, a legal contract. I just cannot believe that any attorney wrote this up as like a thing with a good conscience. Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but there's a specific requirement that she cannot smoke anymore, and she cannot in- ever interrupt her husband, and she has to stop like questioning him. About anything. Jesus Christ. It's really hard for me to maintain this whole no swearing thing. And I want in this story. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I knew you would feel that way. (laughs) By August 2010, the couple has officially halted their divorce and made plans to rent out their home so they could go to Australia and travel for six months to rekindle their marriage. 56-year-old Sally... And 61-year-old Richard are still living separately at that point. Because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, Sally had bought another home mm-hmm. with her family inheritance. They were supposed to rekindle this marriage, but Sally was still super suspicious. And this post-nup is eating at her. She just, there's something that's not right, and she just can't seem to, right. like, relax into this and, like, feel comfortable sure. yeah. with it. Which, by all means, I... There's no question as to why. Not a single thing is right about it. No. By Saturday, August 14th, 2010, Sally agrees to meet Richard at the family home to pack up their personal things. 
In the mid-afternoon, Richard is hungry and sends Sally out to get lunch in the rain. It's pouring down rain there. Okay. Okay. He doesn't offer to go get it himself. He's like, Sally, go get this. Of course. And Sally, of course, jumps because she loves him and wants to make things work. It's 3.30 p.m., which I think they eat lunch a little bit later in England than they do here in the States. But Sally leaves the house, but is super suspicious that Richard has an ulterior motive to telling her to leave. Okay. Okay. So she's really quickly runs out and gets the lunch, comes back and looks at the phone and sees that it's been moved. Okay. She hits the star 69 button. Is that a thing to in dial England? the last number. That was a thing. Oh. I, I, th- I don't think it was star 69. Oh. Maybe it was something else, but it was the same essential function. Gotcha. Okay. To get the last number. Okay. The redial of the last gotcha. number. Right. Sally knows exactly who it is. It's one of the women that he's been seeing from one of the dating sites Mm -hmm. or one of the brothels or wherever. It's someone that he's been seeing in the past. Mm -hmm. And she confronts him. He denies everything and refuses to explain, telling her, don't question me. So Sally turns around and fries up some bacon and eggs. Okay. Okay. They're in the kitchen. And as he's eating... Sally calmly grabs a hammer that she brought in her purse, comes up behind her husband, and beats him with it 18 times. He has defensive wounds, and it's pretty clear Sally was straight up done. Whoa. That that was a twist I was not expecting. (laughs) As Richard falls to the floor, she finishes up the job by shoving a dish towel in his mouth. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yep. When he's dead, Uh Sally wraps up the body in blankets and old curtains, puts a pillow underneath his head, washes the dishes, writes a little note, and leaves it with the body. It says, I love you, Sally. (sighs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Then she goes to the store, gets cigarettes, and heads home to her own house, where she has some wine, smokes, and writes a suicide note for herself, which she leaves by Richard's body in the Chellin family home. Okay? Okay. The suicide note basically lays it all out, tells everyone about the agreement between her and Richard, and she had discovered that he had no intention of getting back together and was just using her to get the house and the assets, etc., that this was basically just a game by Richard, and he still intended to divorce her, and she felt betrayed. She says in the note as well that she can't live without Richard and was going to spend one more night with her son before killing herself. She tells both of her sons that she loves them and she drops the one son off at work. She goes to a parking garage where she intends to jump off the top level. Oh my God. But the garage is closed. Okay, so she got lucky on that one. So she drives 70 miles to East Sussex to jump from a 530 foot cliff into the sea instead to commit suicide. But she just stands there and calls her cousin and admits to killing Richard and tells her cousin where the body is. Meanwhile, this cousin calls the police immediately and a chaplain and they end up talking Sally down from the cliff. Hmm. She admits to killing her husband with a hammer and says if she can't have him, no one can. She tells the police as well about Richard and all the stories about how skeezy he was, telling them about the voicemails, the texts, the spying, all of that, and the treatment that was so terrible that it made her absolutely crazy. 
and the police then arrest her for murder because mm. she's like yep i did it and this is why and they're like okay arrested yeah sally tells them about a pattern of how critical richard was towards her appearance her behavior etc how unfaithful he was and the visiting of the brothels the immense stress she was under and the try for the divorce the fact that she couldn't live without him and realized the whole thing was made up and how devastated she was that he really didn't intend to reconcile despite what he was telling her there was a life sentence at stake here basically mm-hmm. in prison because i don't think they have the death penalty there during that they time do period. not and she attempted to plead guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility mm-hmm. but the court won't accept her pleading oh they're like nope Prosecution argues that Sally was jealous and obsessed, that she had been stalking her husband, that she counted his Viagra, she tracked his movements, she was wronged, and she was a dangerous woman. She went to the house deliberately to kill and pointed out that she brought the the hammer with her. So this indicated premeditation. Mm -hmm. A forensic psychologist testifies that Sally didn't have any mental illness, just low self-esteem and drinking problems. They also testified that she had no outward signs of depression and had been doing well at work and in life. And no one felt she showed signs of depression or like any major mental illness that she had confessed to multiple people. But the defense team also called in a forensic psychologist who implied and testified that Sally had depressive disorder and that she suffered from this episode basically Mm -hmm. of abnormality of mind it was just the specific term that they call it there multiple friends and family members testified that richard was manipulative controlling unfaithful and they explained the whole theory of gaslighting Mm -hmm. so put that on hold for a second because i'm gonna kind of talk a little bit more about what gaslighting is in just a moment okay but the defense essentially says that sally was an abused woman who had finally just snapped yeah that Richard was mentally abusive and he broke Sally's heart and that she suffered for almost 40 years of crushing control and infidelity. She was extremely depressed. She was on medication. She was getting counseling that didn't help. And by the summer of 2010, she was doing well on the surface, but nine months of living apart created severe depression and she didn't remember the act itself. Hmm. June 23rd, 2011, the jury sides with the prosecution and Sally is convicted of murder. Mm. Three days later, she is sentenced to life in prison. So the the time period between the sentencing and the actual verdict in the trial is much reduced there. She is to serve 22 years before being eligible for parole. Hmm. So life in prison there is a little different than it is here in the u.s i think there's very few people that actually serve life in prison there yeah absolutely yeah but the judge basically just tells her she's just a jealous woman and over she was an extremely jealous wife over richard's friendships quote unquote friendships no not affairs not cheating he calls it the judge calls them friendships that's not friendship i've never no i was gonna say i've never done that with any of my friends he basically (laughs) just is like this judge gets in her face and is like, you're just an angry woman and you deserve a life sentence for your premeditated actions. You must have just been on your period. Yeah, essentially. Which, ugh, at 2011, 
This is not the 80s, the 70s, or even the 90s. This is 2011. I know. Unfortunately, it's not at all shocking. So fast forward five months. Her prison time is reduced to 18 years before she is eligible for parole. Okay. But her loved ones are like, hell no. This is not okay. And they continue to fight for her mm-hmm. with everything, every tool in their arsenal. They keep fighting for her. By December 2015, Sally's lawyers and her legal team start to say that there was some coercive control going on. Yeah, and this was turned into a criminal offense there by 2015. And especially if it's an intimate or family relationship. And a local woman's organization stands up for her and says that just because there was no physical abuse does not mean that she was not abused. Right. Which is extremely, extremely important. Basically, what coercive control is, is an act or pattern of acts, assaults, threats, intimidation, other abuse, etc. that is used to harm, punish, or frighten the victim. And it's designed to make them dependent by isolating them from support and depriving Mm -hmm. and regulating them and exploiting them to produce certain types of behavior. Mm -hmm. Everybody says that Richard's behavior was textbook coercive control. Right. And her lawyers pushed for her immediate release. The family says, hey, you know, we loved our father. He did not deserve to be murdered, but our mother was psychologically manipulated and abused throughout the years, and we just don't think she should stay in jail. Right. So everyone has kind of got Sally's back, <clears throat> except for the freaking judge, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Court of Appeals, 2019. Panel of judges looks at the case and they decide this is a landmark ruling. They could do one of three things. They could either uphold the conviction, they can get rid of the conviction and retry the case, or they can reduce the sentence and release Sally for time already served. Okay. What is a landmark decision? That means that they have never had a case like this before. To be decided. Oh, okay. Remember, I just said they just changed the law, making right. coercive oh, control yeah, yeah. an illegal thing. So this is a landmark case for them because they had never tried a case that involved coercive control prior to this. So this okay. is like setting a precedent. Yes. And meanwhile, gotcha. all okay. abusive si- all abuse survivors in this area are on edge because they're like, this is going to mm-hmm. make a huge difference in our lives if they can try for this particular crime. Right. And they say that Sally was not in her right mind. And this is basically their version of temporary insanity. Okay. Because of the course of control. Okay. February 28th, 2019, the Court of Appeals quashes Sally's conviction. The three-panel judge shows that she had two mental disorders, and they did not accept the manslaughter plea, but a new trial was granted. Okay. This was extremely, extremely important because it raised public awareness about coercive control and the long-term psychological impacts of this on victims. Mm-hmm. By July 2019, so her conviction was not gotten rid of, but they were going to retrial her case. So she could potentially still go to jail for the rest of yeah. her life. And people were yeah. freaked out. And meanwhile, like these major groups of individuals that are supporting her are like, They've got a PR campaign going for her um, so that they can raise public awareness and just exert as much pressure as possible. Mm -hmm. 
this is the Justice for Sally campaign, and they want to drop the retrial and have Sally released immediately. Mm-hmm. They want judges additionally to stop discriminating and take domestic abuse seriously in England because evidently with you just look at the statements from the judge on that and you yeah. can tell it's just effing ridiculous. It sounds like it's from the 80s. And the crown in Great Britain has a long history of ruling for men and abusers. Hmm. By then, Sally had spent nine years in jail. And they really believed that a retrial would traumatize everyone, including the family members. And public pressure worked. The Crown dropped the retrial except for the manslaughter plea. And they released Sally with time already served. Okay. She was 65 years old when she was released from prison in 2019. Despite all of this, Sally says she still loved and missed Richard. Wow. He still, and her family basically is like, this just shows that he still has power over uh-huh. her from so many years of this coercive control. But this is considered a huge landmark victory for survivors of domestic abuse and coercive control. But it is important to note that although the court issued this decision, the decision that they made was not based on any sort of theories of coercive control. Okay. So what does that mean? Rather... They used evidence that Sally was in her, was not in her oh. right mind. The diminished responsibility. So, although it is sort of a landmark case, it's not a landmark case in a way that we would think it was, where they're saying, okay, this course of control was in play and sort of mitigated the circumstances and allowed right. Sally to to get off scot free because of this. It was basically like they said, oh, we have new evidence now that showed that she wasn't in her right mind, and so we're diminishing her responsibility for that reason, not the coercive so control. So basically they're still saying coercive control is not a defense yet, is what they're saying. Essentially. Yeah. So okay. it's an it's an illegal thing to do. Right. But they would not let her use that as a defense in a in a manslaughter hmm. type of a situation. Okay. So ultimately, Sally served nine years and four months on a manslaughter conviction mm-hmm. of her husband. So let's, for a moment here, talk about what gaslighting is. Yeah. Because I think it's kind of important because it's a term that I had never really heard before. And... Many people here in the U.S., I know that they have the term coercive control there, but Mm -hmm. many people here in the U.S. would call it gaslighting. It's, I mean, whatever you want to call it, gaslighting, coercive control, it's emotional and financial abuse. And then you also did say there was some physical abuse at times, right? Like the textbook definition of this term from Wikipedia is it that it's a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment, often evoking in them cognitive dissonance and other changes like low self-esteem. Using denial, misdirection, contradiction, and misinformation, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs. Instances can range from the denial by an abuser that previous abuse incidents ever occurred to the staging of bizarre events by the abuser with the intention of disorienting the victim. The term originated from the 1938 play Gaslight and its 1940 and 44 film adaptations, both titled Gaslight. Mm -hmm. It has also been used in much clinical psychological literature as well as political commentary, philosophy, and popular culture. So this is not a new thing, according to what it says here. 
but it is very interesting in that it's almost essentially the same definition as coercive control. Yeah. Like, do you think this was gaslighting that Sally suffered from? Textbook. Absolutely. When she saw him coming out of a brothel and he's like, you didn't see me. That wasn't me. You, you made that up. Yeah. I mean, that's textbook. Like everything that you're seeing and you're thinking, that's all in your head. It clearly lowered her self-worth. It made her think that she was going crazy. It clearly made her depressed. It made her paranoid. That's, I mean... It's like there couldn't be a more textbook definition of gaslighting, I, I don't think, if you if you told me. Yeah. Um, I just find it, on the one hand, it's kind of, it's, I find it hard to believe that she would stay with him through all that. But on the other hand, having been in relationships where some sorts of these things were perpetuated yeah. on me, I can understand it to a certain degree. Nowhere, I didn't suffer anywhere near what Sally dealt with. Right. Nowhere near. But- even just that small fraction of having a guy tell me that I was mistaken when I clearly saw something with my own eyes Mm -hmm. and them insisting until the very end that what I saw wasn't what I saw. Yeah. (laughs) There are some people, and this is not just a tool that men use on women. This can be used by a woman on a man as well. I want to make that perfectly clear. We are not man bashing here. This is anyone can do this. It's not just a male, female tool. It can be either sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be, like, professional or it could be friendship. I mean, it could be in any scenario with any family member. Exactly. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear because I know that we've gotten some some flack in the past for kind of sound like we're man bashing or whatever. But I think this is the sort of thing that can happen with either sexes, Mm -hmm. although it is more commonly reported with the husband doing it to the wife. Right. Okay, let's be honest here. Let's go on what the statistics say and that nine times out of ten, it's the man doing it to his wife. I mean, um, and I know somebody that, is. that not like what you, you know, not like this story, but I do know somebody where that happened to. She was emotionally abused. She was gaslighted. She was financially dependent on her husband. I mean, it's and it is it's hard to see from the inside that that's what's happening. And yeah. it can make people really defensive when other people kind of point it out, point out to them. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult. And it's I mean, when you're in those situations, it's it's hard to know how to handle it, both yeah. for yourself, if you're in that situation and when you have a, somebody that you care about that's in that situation. And then when you have these circumstances or cases where it's happened for 30, 40 years, you mm-hmm. know for a fact that that has become such a normalized part of their life that they no longer right. see it as anything extraordinary. And they're just like, it's par for the course. This like, is just how nothing, relationships nothing's go. Nothing's wrong. Right. Exactly. Right. Particularly when they haven't had a lot of relationships and this is like the first person they were ever with. And right. This is just it can be extremely tricky. And she was and clearly manipulated from, you know, day one. She was 15 years old, you know. Yeah. And she had such a hard time extracting herself mm-hmm. from it that there was really only one outcome. And that was for something bad to happen. Some yeah. act of violence or something bad had to happen in order to distract her and sort of get her out of that situation and by no means am I saying that this behavior was justified by any stretch of the imagination but I can understand being in a situation where you love somebody with every part of your being and they tell you oh we're gonna make this work and this is what's happening and then a whole different thing is happening Mm -hmm. on the other end and you discover it and how hurt and crushed and defeated you feel Mm -hmm. when you've been lied to yeah and I think in the states what we would call it kind of not coercive control, but battered woman syndrome. 
And I think we are that typically has a like physical abuse connotation. But I think we're understanding Mm -hmm. that it can be emotionally abuse, you know, emotional abuse as well when you're talking about that. And that is, you know, unfortunately that this happened in 2000, what, 2009 or something when the the murder happened. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. this year or maybe it was last year, a woman went to prison in Alabama for killing her abuser and she you know was she said that he was abusive to her for years and the judge wouldn't accept that as a defense so it's yeah unfortunately it's not something we've gotten past yet and it's really hard to kind of figure out the ins and outs of those specific cases but it sounds like in this particular case we're talking about now you know it was so clear there were so many people that were witnesses to this i mean her sons said you know this isn't right you need to get out of this i feel particularly appalled by the judge and him just saying oh you're a jealous angry woman these are just friendships like to me that's like the word that's like a slap in the face i'm not saying that what she did was right i don't want to imply that in any way shape or form because you do not kill somebody because you're upset and angry but at the same time this woman that has basically had this sort of thing rubbed in her face from day one Mm-hmm. is now being told, well, you're just a jealous and angry woman. There's right. no sort of abuse that happened here. You're, it's all in your head, basically, is what right. he's telling her. Yeah. So, awful, awful, awful. It, it is really awful. I'm glad that, you know, I mean, it was manslaughter. Um, nine years is a very long time to serve in prison, but I'm glad that in, that this brought attention to this in the court system in England, you know, yeah. I hope this something good comes from it in the future. So there's that. Well, there are way too many cases like this that are winding their way through the court system in many mm-hmm. different countries, including here in Absolutely. the U.S. And uh, we'll post some information on numbers that you can reach out to if you feel like you are in an abusive situation, whether it be physical, psychological, mental, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, we'll provide some information if you need some support or anonymous, somebody to talk to anonymously. We'll post Absolutely. that as well. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap the case up at this point, okay. If you, unless you have anything else to add. I don't. I hope everyone out there is staying safe and clean yeah washing (laughs) Washing your hands hands, for 20 seconds keeping isolated (laughs) um and this is the point in the podcast where we say so long farewell please rate review and subscribe to our little podcast we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode if you have any questions comments or suggestions please shoot us an email we're at the bfd podcast at gmail.com darcy social media we're at the bfd podcast on both twitter and instagram so hit us up there as well Slide into our DMs, yep. tweet at us. It's all clean. You can't catch anything by that. <laughs> <laughs> Social and online interactions are becoming very important right now. No corona threat involved nope. with that whatsoever. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.